Good morning, my name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are going to be in that passage, Luke chapter 2. So open up your Bibles if you've got them, join us there. We're going to be camped out this morning, and, and this morning really is uh, the first Sunday of Advent. The, uh, the word Advent just means the coming or arrival of something. So you Advented from your homes to City Light Church this morning. Congratulations. And um, Advent for centuries uh, has been a, a time during the year where the church has historically taken time to, to celebrate that Jesus has come and Jesus has promised to come again. They've taken the four Sundays leading up to Christmas to celebrate this thing called Advent. And during this season... A couple things happened. One, we joined with the Old Testament saints who would have been longing for this promised Messiah. They would have been looking forward to this day when Jesus the Christ would be born. And, and we're going to join in and look at the promises of God and, and see the way that we were supposed to be anticipating the arrival of Jesus. And we join in with New Testament saints, me and you, who live in this day and age, who we don't just look forward to Jesus' arrival. We know that he came as the sacrificial lamb of God. He was a baby born but grew up uh, to take on the sins of the world. But now we look forward to Jesus' coming back, amen? When Jesus will return, and he's not going to come as a servant who's a sacrifice for all. He's going to come back as a king who is ruling and reigning, who's going to push back evil and undo every wrong and make every wrong Right, and so we look forward to that day when Jesus will come. And uh, for the next four weeks, if you're wondering where are we gonna go, uh, traditionally the church has celebrated four themes during the Advent season. Um, it is hope, uh, joy, love, and peace. And so uh, that will be where we're going in the next four weeks. And today we're gonna be looking at hope. What is our hope, Christians? Why do we have hope? How does the Bible saturate our lives with hope? And uh, I wanna just let you guys know that hope matters, Okay. Uh, this is not just an idea or a phrase or a feeling, but hope is a necessity. It's an essential. It's been said that, that hope is to the soul like oxygen is to the body. Have you ever met somebody who's lost hope? Does it not show on their face and their countenance? It's hard for them to get out of bed. They're frustrated, discouraged. We become self-destructive creatures when we lose hope. Hope. We are people who need hope. And we are people who are hopers. Can we just say that? All of us in this room, we are hoping in something or someone. Every single one of us. Some of you guys, uh, this morning you've been checking the news, you're on Twitter, and you're hoping that Scott Frost will be named the head coach of the Huskers. Lord, would you bring a Messiah from Florida? Would you do it? And would he usher in a new season of dominance? Oh, Lord, would you bring your kingdom? Kingdom come. Right? Some of you guys are hoping it's going to get better. We're hoping for that head coach. Other of you guys are students and you're med students and you're grad students and you're college students. And maybe you're back for the holidays and visiting mom and dad. But honestly, your hope right now is just to get to the end of the semester. You're hoping you pass your classes. You're hoping that someday you graduate. And you're hoping that someday you get to pay off those student loans. Others of you, you're like me. Maybe you hit the pie a little too hard this weekend, okay? A little confession time. Got a little excited about that whipped cream, and you woke up this morning hoping that your skinny jeans would fit, okay? <laughs> Got to really suck it in. You're hoping, Lord. The struggle is real, is it not? So all of us, we are people who have hope. Now, before I go any further, let me just define what hope is, because there's a difference between maybe the way we define hope and the way the Bible defines hope. Oftentimes, we define hope as kind of a wishful thinking. We hope it goes well for you. And so we say things to our friends like, I hope that blind date goes well. 
which simply means we hope it doesn't get awkward, right? Like, that's all we're saying there. And our hope for that person has no ability to impact the outcome. It just, it doesn't impact the outcome or the result. And so it's just kind of a well-wishing or a blind hope. But the Bible defines hope differently. The Bible defines hope as a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. And so our hope, our biblical hope, is not wishful thinking. It's a confidence in what Jesus has promised to do. A biblical hope is not filled with speculation, but with security. A biblical hope is not rooted in probability, but in God's promise and in his power. And so there's a difference between maybe the way we define hope and the way we use the word hope and the way that the Bible uses the word hope. And here's why today also matters for us. I think all of us were designed by God to be people of hope. When we were with God in right relationship with him in the very beginning, Adam and Eve in perfect relationship in the book of Genesis with God, they were people who had unending, abounding hope. God is good and God is eternal. And so every day they hoped in his word. They hoped in his provision. They trusted in what he would do and how he would provide for them. And then Genesis 3 hit. Sin entered the world. And what happened is our relationship with God and one another was fractured. And we didn't stop hoping. Oh, no, 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 no. That's still in our DNA. That's still in our nature to be people who hope. Instead, what, the, what sin did to us is instead of hoping in God, we started placing our hope in people or things or small, shallow pursuits. In many ways, what we've done is we've started hoping in our investment accounts, hoping our kids turn out well, hoping we get that promotion, hoping that we're good enough to impress someone, hoping that somebody would finally love us and our relationship status would change. We've placed our hopes in lots of places, and they're not all bad places, but they're just not worthy of your ultimate hope. And here's why I want to labor today for your hope, because hope is where we place our hope matters. Uh, I, I think that, that not only do misplaced hopes lead to sin, but they lead to massive disappointment. Have any of you placed your hope in somebody and then just been let down? Like that, that, that's part of all of our stories. And so there is a place to put our hope. I believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth, not just so that we didn't have to go to hell, but so that we'd have a place to, to put our, our hope in the place that our hope would finally be secure. And so I want to see how this plays itself out as we meet a man named Simeon. And so Simeon is going to show us three things about Jesus and the hope that we have in him. And so um, I want to track with Simeon and his story and learn from him today about what we're supposed to do with our hope. So I've got three points. Uh, You can follow along with your programs. Point one is this. We hope in God's promises. We hope in God's promises. So theologians would say uh, that all of us live in this, what they call already, but not yet kingdom. So what that means is in this time in redemptive history, Jesus has already come, right? We know that Jesus has already died on the cross for our sins. He's already advented once to usher in his kingdom. And yet we know that all of his kingdom will not be fully experienced until he comes back once again and makes all things new. And so what that means practically for me and you is that we've got kids who rebel against their parents. They don't take orders. They don't obey. There is sin in them. They're sinful creatures. And we've got parents who sin against their kids and freak out, okay? Like that's how it plays itself out. Even this Thanksgiving, we saw fractured relationships at the dinner table among family members, did we not? And we experienced the evidence that the kingdom of God is already but not yet. We look around our city and we see injustice. We look to our leaders and we see corruption. We even look inside of religious places and we can see legalism and manipulation and all kinds of stuff. 
And here's the reality. When you live in an already but not yet kingdom, a couple things typically happen in our hearts. One, we try to pretend things aren't as bad as they really are. It's called blind optimism. And it's a hope that the world is going to fix itself by its own advancements. What this means is maybe you've heard people talk about how technology is advancing and healthcare is getting better and our education techniques are improving and, you know, governments are being reformed and all across the world we're taking these steps towards progress. And we think that's going to be the thing that fixes injustice, that alleviates poverty, that brings peace to the human heart. And I would say that that is a misplaced hope because we're hoping that we as people, we're just one nonprofit away. We're one good idea away. We're one technological advancement away. And I'm just saying, no, 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 no. The Bible doesn't say that's our hope. The Bible doesn't say that our hope comes from us as humans mustering up an ability to solve a problem that we were just never created to solve. And yet the other end of the equation is not a blind optimism, but instead it's just a helplessness. Have any of you guys been around those people? They watch the news all the time, like 24-7. They're always on the world news, and they're always paying attention, and they're like, everybody in Washington, D.C. is corrupt, right? There's a guy in Korea, and he's short, and he's got a bad haircut, and he's just ready to start pushing buttons and blowing stuff up. I mean, the world's going to be bad. Social media is horrible, and these smartphones are from the devil, you know? Russia's going to invade. you got to watch out. You know, it's like, Let's all go to the backyard and build a bunker, right? Nobody else has a bunker. Okay, good. I'm proud of you guys. Good job, okay? I I look at those and I'm just, man, that's not a biblical posture. Like there's a TV show called like Backyard Bunker People and they like store up tomatoes. And it's like, I don't know, if a nuclear attack happens, are you really going to climb into the back of your bunker? It's a thing, okay? But like that's not a biblical place to be because there is hope. And that's why I want us to look at Simeon. He lived in the same fallen, broken world. He saw the same relational drama. He saw the same headlines. He saw the same misuse of power. And yet his life was defined by hope. Why? He didn't pretend everything was just going to get better. He didn't fall into despair. Instead, he believed the promises of God. And he believed that God had made a promise and that he would keep his promise. And that he would do what his word said he would do. And that's why he had hope even on this side of eternity. Let me show you guys some stuff, and I want to learn from him. Verse 22 through 24 just gives us our setting of how we're going to meet Simeon. Basically, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Him uh, and his family has now transitioned to Jerusalem. They're making their way to the temple so that uh, Mary and Joseph can dedicate baby Jesus to the Lord and make an offering. And uh, basically, uh, just like we do at our church, they're going to do a baby dedication, dedicate him to the Lord, pray, and make an offering to God. And God is using this moment uh, to confirm and Mary and Joseph, that their new child, this new little baby Jesus, is more than just an infant. He is really a promise that God has made for thousands of years to send a Savior that would deliver God's people. So let me show you this in verse 25 through 28. Simeon's going to be the messenger. It says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this, uh, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not uh, see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, uh, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed him. Now, um, this is quite the one-sentence resume in verse 25 of Simeon. You see this? 
Simeon, we don't know everything about him. We don't know his story or his background or his profession or his aim, age. This is really the only time that Simeon is mentioned in the Bible. This is his only cameo. This is his only ministry to confirm that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And yet, uh, what we know about him is in one sentence, he's, de- he's defined as a man who's righteous, devout, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever asked yourself, if you were in the Bible, what would be your one-sentence resume? Semi-cranky before he received coffee in the mornings. Anybody else? Um, love the Lord God, but never figured out where to put a comma. Okay, like that could be maybe mine. Um, It'd be very interesting if we were in the Bible. Well, what we know about Simeon is this guy is legit. This guy is a credible source. He is a man who loved Jesus. And the other thing that we learn about him is in verse 25 and 26, it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? It means that, like I said, he lived in the same fallen, broken world that we live in. He was waiting on the day of the Lord. He was waiting with anticipation and hope that God would make good on his promise you know what the consolation of Israel means? Con- to console simply means to comfort. God had promised for thousands of years that he would comfort his people who are weary. That he would bring peace to those who don't have peace. That he would love those who are unlovable. That he would deliver those who are oppressed. That he would bind up the brokenhearted. And God had made promises all the way back in Genesis 3, guys. God made a promise to his people. We sinned against a holy God, and do you know that he promised even then that he would send a Savior that would defeat our ultimate enemy, the one that has deceived us, Satan, once and for all, that he would literally crush his head. Is that not amazing? And then you you go forward to the book of Isaiah, and God had promised that he would send this one called a wonderful counselor to us. You go on, and he continues to promise that he would send one who would be pierced for our transgressions, and that he would give his life for our sins. God made a promise to bring comfort to his people. And the way that he was going to comfort his people is not by giving us some rules to live by or some principles to uh, adhere to, but he was going to send to us a Messiah, a Savior, someone who would do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he was going to comfort us once and for all. Is that not good news? That's where Simeon's at. He's anticipating, waiting for that day. Now, in verse 26, it says that Simeon had received a unique promise in Scripture. The Holy Spirit had told Simeon, you're not going to die until you meet this promised Savior. Now, I think in Simeon's life, this would have brought a special sense of anticipation for the day that he sees uh, Jesus. But can we also acknowledge it might have made him a little weird? Have you ever met somebody who feels like they made some extra biblical claims that they've got a special revelation from God? You're like, okay, I don't know, bro. I don't know about that. I trust the Bible, but something you're saying seems a little off to me, right? Like Simeon's that guy. Can you imagine having Simeon at Thanksgiving dinner? Can you? Hey, Simeon, you might want to dial back the whole pie and the bacon and the whipped cream and the extra gravy combo. That's not, you're not going to be at the next Thanksgiving. You keep eating like that, okay, Simeon? You need to dial it back. Simeon's response, here's the thing, though. Like the Holy Spirit told me, I'm not dying um, until... Jesus comes, and so uh, basically this is a calorie-free, consequence-free zone, okay? So I can just, I can do me. I'm on that Jesus promise diet, okay? So you just, you do you, I'm going to give me. Kids, back away from Uncle Simeon. He's not taking his medication right now. You know, like I don't know what he's talking about, right? Like he seems a little off, but, but Simeon is not a crazy, kooky old man. He is a man filled with the Holy Spirit who had heard a promise from God, and God is going to keep his promise. And what we learn from him is, is that Simeon waits, he anticipates and waits, and he's filled with hope, 
even in a broken and fallen world because he believed the promises of God. And in a very real way, God has made some promises to us as his people through his word. And I believe that our hope is on the line. The the more we believe the promises of God, the more hope-saturated and hope-filled we're going to be. When we drift from the promises of God and stop looking at what God has promised to do in and among us, man, our hopes, our lives are going to be filled with despair or frustration or just simply blind optimism. Simeon saw the same world that we see, and he says, I believe in a God that has promised to do a work that we could never otherwise do apart from him. And he had hope in the midst of it all. And so I want to say this. Um, I think that all of us need to believe the promises of God. But like I always say, I don't want to just call you guys to do something that I'm not doing myself. And so let me just, let me just model or maybe confess to you why I still, as your pastor, can never drift from the promises that I find in Scripture. Um, I'm going through a season right now. i got three little kids, a five, a two, and a 10-month-old. And uh, if you guys are a parent, you guys know in the summer times they play outside. In the, the wintertime, they're mostly inside which means increased chaos, increased noise, um, increased people just crawling on you. And then it comes to this point where, like, they don't put themselves to bed. And so, um, like, there's this point where you're like, okay, we've ate dinner and we prayed, and now there's Legos everywhere, and now the living room's a hot mess, and now i got to, like, bathe you. And then after I bathe you, we got to put your jammies on. And after we put your jammies on, we got to do a story because you won't go to bed unless I read. And then we got to pray. And then at the end of it, you still sneak out of your room. And now I'm chasing you down the hallway, and I step on a Lego, and I grab a knife, and now I'm coming, okay? <laughs> there will be blood, okay? And, um, like, you have this moment where you move from, like, mildly irritated to just, like, I'm done. I'm literally done, you know? And, um, and so here's why I'm confessing this. We all laugh because if you've been a parent, if you're honest with yourself, you've had one of those moments, okay? And, and so um, I'm confessing this because God has placed me in that home to model the love of God the Father to my children. What is God the Father like? I hope they say he's loving and kind and compassionate. Why? Because daddy was that way. And so when I use anger and I raise my tone and I try to... Uh, intimidate my kids so they obey me and go to bed? Man, I'm not modeling the heart of the father, right? And so, um, so this weight of conviction comes upon me after I get them to bed and I sit down and I'm finally, and just feel like, okay, what am I doing? And the hard part about this whole thing is it's not like I did it one time and I've never done it again. Like it happens the next day. And I'm like, this is the same dream every day. It's playing itself out. It's like Groundhog's Day. Kids run, I run after them, we get angry. Mom's like, don't run at the kids. Now she's yelling at me. And now I'm like, oh, I'm about to get fired up. You know? You're watching your Christmas movies while I'm putting the kids to bed, right? Like it's, oh, now we got all kinds of issues, right? So, <laughs> and so I so relate to the Apostle Paul's words. He confesses, he says, I do the very thing I don't want to do. I don't do the very thing I do want to do. Anybody else feel that? Is there ever going to be progress, Right? And so we got to come back to the promises of God and we got to believe them because one of the things that I come back to is is my hope and confidence isn't that I'm just going to become a better dad because I try harder. Here's what Philippians 1, 6 promises me. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to work hard to be a better dad. I'm going to repent of my sin and believe that Jesus is enough. And yet I'm not going to stake my hope in myself. My hope is in the fact that there will be a day when I'm free from anger and I'm free from resentment and I'm free from impatience because Jesus is going to finish what he started in me. Amen? Amen. That's the promises of God. We come back to over and over and over again. So what that means for us at City Light is um, I just want us to be a people whose lives are saturated with hope. 
not because we have hope in a political leader, not because we have hope in a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband and wife or maybe a a retirement account that's going in the right direction or maybe even in our own morality or in our own ability to make ourselves better. Man, those are misplaced hopes. I want us to place our hopes in the promises of God because God always keeps his promises to his people and we can bank on them. And that's the only place we can have secure hope. Amen? Amen. Okay, so point one, we hope in the promises. Number two, we hope in God's provision. Simeon is going to make it really clear to us that Jesus isn't just a newborn baby that is a miracle. Instead, he is God's means to bring salvation to all nations. And as we move into the Advent season, there's a lot of things we can get distracted with, right? Like there's these special Christmas movies, and um, Starbucks comes out with all these different flavors of coffee. We got our you know, I don't know, pumpkin space latte that everybody goes crazy about. I mean, but I can't even say it, spice. Everybody take a deep breath, okay? Just, it's gonna be okay. You can spell it later, all right? So, did you hear the pastor say pumpkin spice? Anyways, so Advent wasn't just an entertaining thing. It wasn't just so that we would have a holiday or some school off in the middle of the year. Advent was spiritually necessary, Uh, There is no hope apart from God for eternal life, um, apart from Advent. Jesus had to come. Do you guys get that? Like Jesus had to come for us to have hope beyond our final breath. Because the Bible is really clear here. The Bible says that there is a holy God and that we've sinned against him and that we are broken, sinful human beings. And you know the game that we've been trying to play if God is holy and God is good and we are not? You know what we've been trying to do for thousands of years? You know what's natural for me and you? is that you know what? I'm just going to start working my way towards God. I'm going to get better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try to get religious. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to read my Bible more. And then maybe I'll impress God and earn my way into a bright relationship with him. It's called morality. It's called religion, and it's man-centered, and it's a dumb game because God's standards are perfection, and it's a hopeless pursuit. And yet, that's why Advent is such a great news for us. Because Simeon looks at us, and God looks at us, and what Simeon's going to say is that the provision of God was not more rules, not um, some principles to live by, not some inspiration so you can try harder this month. Instead, God's provision for us was a Savior named Jesus Christ— who would come from heaven to earth and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And the Bible is going to say there is hope. It's not in you, but it is in him. And let me show you guys how this works out in verse 28 through 30. It says this, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Verse 30. Let me look at this. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And here is Simeon. And he is looking at his creator in the face. He's holding baby Jesus, the one who created him and spoke the world into existence is in his very hands. And he's saying, my eyes have seen your salvation. The salvation that, Lord, you prepared for all peoples. Who's at the heart of salvation? Jesus. Why? Because God prepared it. He promised it. He promised that he would provide one who would be the means to our salvation. And Simeon understands that Jesus' primary ministry wasn't to heal the sick or give being a moral example to some people. He came to be the sacrificial lamb of God. He came to be the innocent one who would die for the guilty. He came so that me and you, 2,000 some years later, would have the hope of salvation. And let's not just throw around Christian words. What is salvation? 
Salvation is a couple things. One, it means to be saved from the wrath of God. Like, before a holy and righteous God, I, I know that we don't like to talk about this. In church, the only thing that we deserved is punishment and wrath. And yet, we haven't, we've been saved from that because Jesus took that on, and we've been saved into his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. Salvation is an amazing gift. And let's not just minimize salvation to the fact that someday you don't have to go to hell and you get to go to heaven, right? Like, for those of you who have tasted salvation, you know what it is? It's freedom. It's freedom from waking up every day trying to impress somebody else or impress God with your morality or your role-keeping or your parenting skills. You know why you can be free from that slavery? Because you have the full righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been imparted or gifted to you when you placed your faith in him. That's amazing. And you know what salvation is? Salvation is a, a crazy gift for me because I'm a guilty dude. And I stand before a holy God stained with sin because I've given my life to addiction. I've hurt and used people. I've pushed away from God. I've stolen glory from him. And you know what? I don't have to feel the full weight of guilt and shame and condemnation because Jesus Christ has taken those things on. And so now I stand a man who has been white clean, made as white as snow before a holy and righteous God. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Somebody better say amen to that because y'all are not with me right now. Looking at me like I'm the only one that needed to get forgiven, okay? We know. Your wife knows. For sure she knows, okay? So just everybody enter in. And this has everything to do with our hope. I don't want to just go off about salvation. I want you guys to know this has everything to do with our hope because our hope is going to be in one of two places. We are either going to hope in ourselves. We're going to hope that we're good enough, that we're strong enough, that we're impressive, or we are going to hope in the accomplishments of someone else, mainly God's provision for us. That's it. I, I oftentimes like to talk to people about Jesus, and I said, do you believe in God? That's where we start. Okay, do you believe in a biblical God, a God that, that believes in heaven and hell? Okay, okay, that's where you're at. Um, then, then answer me this. Help me understand this. If, if you meet Jesus face-to-face on the other side of eternity, he asks you, why should he let you into heaven? What are you going to say? And I love this because it forces people to either point towards Jesus or point towards themselves. Who will they trust in? Who's their hope? And oftentimes I hear people say, well, I would tell them I went to church. I told them I was a good parent. My kids turned out well. They did better than I did. You know, I I would tell them I stayed married. I stayed faithful. I would tell them I tried to read my Bible some. I would tell them about me and what I've done. and, And I think I would get in. Or I think maybe the more biblical response is to say, my only hope is in God's provided son, Jesus Christ. Because at best, I'm an imperfect offering, but Jesus Christ has obeyed the laws perfectly in my place. He is the provision I so desperately need. Amen? And so, City Life, this is our hope. Our hope is that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, that Jesus died the death that we deserve, and that Jesus has rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And that is our hope. That alone is our hope. Not our morality or our church or our future kids. Jesus is our hope. Look at me because I want to show you guys one more thing in verses 30 through 32 here, just about how we hope in God's provision. Uh, If salvation comes by hoping in Jesus and not by our religious works, we have to ask who's invited the party. And Simeon's going to answer that question. He says this, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And so here's, here's the point I want to make. Who is salvation for? He makes it really clear. It's for the Jew and the Gentile. What that means is it's for the good kids and the bad kids. 
We like to break up humanity based on the ones who follow the rules and break the rules. It's for the rebels and the self-righteous. It's for the stay-at-home mom and the single mom. It's for the deadbeat dad who left his kids, and it's for the one who stayed and sacrificed. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. It's a scandalous invitation to receive salvation, and he makes it to the black and the white, to the rich and the poor, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. He extends an invitation to be afforded, invited to the family of God and a part of the table that he will set for us in eternity. That's amazing news. And we're here today because he invited you and me into it. That's salvation. Who's it for? It's for all people. And the reason I think this gives us hope is because if you're like me, at some point in your life, you might have said these words in your head. If God is good, then surely he's not interested in me. Maybe he's interested in somebody else. Somebody listens to K-Love and got a nice little bumper sticker fish on the back of his car. But he's not interested in me because I know me, right? But the amazing thing about our God is he came not for awesome, strong people, but he came to be the one that would be the provision for messy, broken people like me and you. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I want us to be a church who never graduate from placing our hope in Jesus Christ. Um, We're going to hear about Jesus a lot because I believe the Old Testament promises Jesus and points to Jesus and has lots of shadows that, that give light to who Jesus will be. And then in the New Testament, it's really all about Jesus, and it promises that he will return. And the reason at City Light, we don't want to just be a church that talks about Jesus just at Christmas time, and we sing Jesus songs at Christmas because that's what we're supposed to do. Instead, we want to be a church that talks about Jesus because we want to rightly place our hope in him and him alone. No misplaced trust in ourselves. No taking credit for the story that God has written. He's the one that's provided salvation, and he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's go back to him over and over and over. Amen. Number three, it says we need a, a hope transfer. We need a hope transfer. So we have a family tradition at our house that after Thanksgiving, uh, we start to break out the Christmas tree and the Christmas decorations, okay? Uh, so uh, after eating the meal, we clean up, people leave. The next day, we get the tree out, we get the lights out, we get the decorations out, uh, we get the ornaments out, and we just go hard. And so um, this weekend, we started to decorate for Christmas in my house. And if you have kids, you, it's so fun to watch them try to help, okay? Can we just say that? It's really, really fun. Um, they're super helpful. And so I've got a two-year-old named Lucy and a five-year-old named Paxton, and my two-year-old daughter was having a blast. She was just going to town, putting the ornaments. But the problem is she's like two feet tall. And so all of the ornaments were on like the bottom row of the tree. Like the rest of the tree just looked completely busted and broken and there was bare. So Paxton realized this. He starts to put the, the, the kind of ornaments above that area. And Lucy gets jealous like, oh, no, he did not. Okay. And so she comes over to me. She grabs the ornament. She comes over to me, and she just looks up at Daddy and puts her arms up. And in that moment, I know what she's saying. So I pick her up. She looks down with disgust at her brother, and uh, she puts that ornament at the very top of that tree. And um, so there's part of my daughter that is sinful and broken, okay? But I tell that story because there's two things that, that matter to me in that moment. One, Lucy is two years old, and she was incredibly honest about her capacity, she knew she was never going to be able to climb to the tree by herself. She had stood on her tippy toes. She knew she couldn't push a chair. She knew she couldn't climb up. The only way she was going to do it is by what? Humbling herself and asking for help. She had to put her hope in somebody else, not herself. And I believe the kingdom of God is the same. 
The only way that you get into the kingdom of God and you have the hope of salvation isn't that you're strong and mighty, but that you're willing to acknowledge honestly your condition before a holy God and place your hope in somebody else. And Simeon is going to show us that in his text. Let me show you guys how this plays out, 34 through 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be really, uh, revealed. Verse 34 is the key. He says some will rise and some will fall. Why? Because our spiritual life is tied to how we respond to Jesus. It's not tied to how you behaved in the past or how you will behave in the the future. It's tied to what you will believe about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the hard part about this this thing is it's offensive to us. I I hope you guys understand the gospel is offensive in some ways because it tells you that, that you're not good enough and God had to do everything basically for you. And that our only hope is, is basically re- surrendering all of our hope that we have in ourselves and placing our hope fully in the provision of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And it's humbling because God doesn't let you do a both and. It's not like 90% Jesus and 10% you. It's just all Jesus. He's the one who accomplished it all. And he's our singular hope. And so um, Simeon was right because He went on to tell that many people in Jesus' ministry, some would respond. The people of Israel, some would, Jesus would be a stumbling block to some. They would trip over him. They wouldn't understand that they were bad and God is good and they had to trust in Jesus. But for others, Romans tells us that he would be the cornerstone of their salvation, the very foundation piece of their salvation. That's who Jesus would be. And I just want to say that City Light, I think still today we are called to respond by faith in King Jesus. Um, for some of us in this room, I don't know who you see Jesus as. Many in our culture discuss who Jesus is. They think he's a moral teacher for our kids to learn from. They think he's a historic figure. Some believed he was a person who had political ambitions. Some saw him just as a miracle worker. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. He believed that he was the one that had come from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost. He believed he was the one who would provide salvation for the weary and the broken. And so we've got to decide, even on this day, who will we place our hope in? Is it King Jesus? Is Jesus the one that God has promised? Is Jesus the one that God has provided for us? And will we trust and receive and believe in him and place our hope ultimately in him? Or will we not? And um, I just want to say, let me close in this. If you're a Christian here today, um, I want to say you've placed your hope in a secure place. You know, I want to, I want to ask all of you just today, before you leave, would you, would you take an inventory of where your hope is at? Because I believe it's possible as a Christian to say, I put all my hope in Jesus for eternal life. And then before we know it, what do we do? We drift off that course and we start to make our lives about hoping in a million smaller things. We hope our relationship gets better. We hope we become stronger individuals. We hope we get the Christmas bonus. We hope our kids can like grow up and actually contribute to society. And all of those things are good hopes, but they're not our ultimate hope. They should never be our ultimate hope. Jesus is the only one that could be our ultimate hope. And here's why. Here's why this is a big deal. Because all of our misplaced hopes, our small hopes, they are going to expire on us someday. They're going to disappoint us. Um, When you breathe your last breath, you're going to say goodbye to that marriage. You're going to say goodbye to some hopes behind you. But if you've placed your hope firmly in Jesus Christ, you don't leave your greatest hope and treasure behind You get to see the one you've treasured and hoped in face to face. And you experience joy and intimacy with him. 
and you're free from sin and death once and for all. The insecurities and the lust and the longing, all of that has been wiped away. There's no more loneliness in your soul. And instead, you are in perfect peace with your Savior God, the one that you've hoped in for salvation. I want to get to that last day and have the same kind of secure hope that Simeon has. After seeing Jesus, he says, I'm ready to depart. My soul is at peace. I got nothing to prove. I got no more dysfunction. My heart is good. My soul is good. And I can't wait to see that Savior face to face. Man, would that be our hope? This season, um, I don't know what you're going to give your life to or how chaotic it's going to be or if you're just hanging on by a thread today. I want you to know there's a God of hope. And I, know, I want you to know that regardless of what you're going through, there is a God that has provided hope for you. Death is coming someday, and has God not given us hope over what looks to be a hopeless circumstance? He's promised to raise us from death to life and usher us unto his kingdom. I don't know what you're going through as far as the way you see our country and our world. I pray that we would not be despairing, fearful, broken, or angry people, but we'd be a hope people, hope-saturated people because we know that Jesus has promised to come back. We can't solve all these problems, but Jesus will. And the evil within, would we trust that Jesus will one day set us free from those? Amen? If you're not yet a Christian, um, I want to invite you into this hope, that you would place your home firmly in God's provided Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, I want to say thank you that, God, for many years of my life, I placed my hope in pursuits that were shallow and small. I hoped to make the team. I hoped to date the girl. I hoped to pass the class. And, God, I didn't even know that there was a beautiful promise in Scripture. God, my, maybe my greatest hope was that I would be just good enough to get in to the kingdom of God someday, that I wouldn't be as bad as other people, and so somehow maybe you would let me in. And, God, yet you've You've shown me not just a blind hope, but a secure hope in Jesus Christ. I want to say thank you for those in this room that you've opened up their eyes to to see the hope that is Jesus Christ, that the promise that he is, the provision that he is. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you that we have a secure hope today. And for those of us in this room that maybe for those who don't yet know Jesus, I want to pray right now. Would you would you draw them into a hope that is secure? Draw them to surrender their misplaced hope and trust in you. And if that's you, would you pray with me now? Jesus, for years, maybe I've been placing my hope in my own goodness, in my own rule keeping, or in small, shallow things, but today I place my hope firmly in you, Jesus, the one who lived for me and died for me and has risen from the grave and the one who has promised me eternal life. I pray that you would come into my life, take leadership, and that I would walk with you for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.